Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Delete. I know I always say this every week, but I'm so thrilled with who my guest is today. She is one of my favourite authors and she is just such a fascinating person. My guest today is Naomi Alderman. She is an award-winning novelist of Disobedience and The Power. Disobedience has been adapted into a film directed by Sebastian Lelio and it's based on the novel of the same name by Naomi and it stars Rachel McAdams and Rachel Weisz and it's out in cinemas now. There's much more I want to say about Naomi, which I will do in a minute, but speaking of cinemas, I'm also really excited that this episode is in partnership with Curzon Cinemas. They made this episode happen, and for that I'm very grateful because I got to meet Naomi and talk to her about all of her amazing storytelling. Going to a Curzon Cinema is one of my favourite things. Each cinema is different, but they all have this magical feeling. Curzon have been a name in the cinema industry since 1934, and they've made it their business to bring films to curious audiences all around the world. They have 13 venues across the UK and they're all furnished really individually. They are equipped with the best of the best cinema technology. They've been always pioneering new ways to bring films to new audiences and share amazing, award-winning, classic and contemporary independent films from all around the world. So... I'm really excited to tell you on this day that Disobedience is in the cinemas that you should try Curzon Home Cinema. You get to watch all of the films that are out at the cinema instantly in your home. By registering, you get access to a selection of the latest cinema releases and you get to watch them from the comfort of your own sofa. I mean, I love going to the cinema and I love the collective experience of all watching films together and obviously seeing it on the big screen. But I also love staying in and I also love staying in around this time of the year when it gets dark around 4pm. So it's quite the joy to watch a new film that's out at the cinema under my own blanket with it raining outside, eating my own snacks and wearing whatever I want to wear. So check it out because it's quite amazing. So wherever you are in the UK and Ireland, the choice is yours. You can watch films at the cinema or instantly at home with Curzon Home Cinema. So check out Disobedience and the choice is yours where you will watch it from. So a little bit more about Naomi Alderman quickly before we dive into the episode, which I'm going to say is probably one of my favourites. It's absolutely packed with advice and incredible anecdotes. Her debut book came out in 2006 called Disobedience and it was very well received. It was slightly controversial at the time. It's about a North London rabbi's lesbian daughter and it covers many different themes about growing older and worrying about parting ways with family members and really finding who you truly are. It won loads of awards including the Sunday Times Young Writer of the Year Award and tons of others. Her other novel, The Power, was the book of the year last year. It won the Bailey's Women's Prize for Fiction and Barack Obama called it one of his favourite books. It's an amazing sci-fi dystopian novel about gendered violence and power. The premise is genius. It's about a world where women are more powerful than men. God becomes she and men are frightened to walk home alone at night. It's really an incredible book and I recommend you you check out all of Naomi's work. We discuss in this episode life as a polymath. Naomi has many other talents which she will reveal in the episode 
and what it was like having Rachel Weiss ring you up and want to turn your book into a film. And we also discuss writing and and how you know whether something is a good or bad idea when it comes to creating stuff and deciding what ideas to really put your energy into. So I'm so excited for you to listen to this one and I hope you get lost in it and find it as inspiring as I did. Thank you so much for listening to Control Alt Delete every week. Please leave a rating and a review if you have a few seconds. And here it is. I'm so excited to be with you. I'm sorry, but I'm going to do my fangirl bit because I'm a huge fan of your books. Cannot believe that this film is out. It's incredible as well. But I'm with Naomi Alderman. <laughs> Thank you so much. For oh, coming well, on the podcast it's a joy shall we tell people where we are yeah i think we need to paint a picture of the room first don't yeah. we so we're in an upstairs room at the everyman cinema in Hampstead, where i'm about to do a q a we are in a really strange slightly chilly slightly like the air is a bit damp room uh it looks like at one point it was somebody's bedroom there's a very old-fashioned Victorian fireplace. There's a poster of Chinatown above the fireplace. And above that, really to set the mood, a poster from The Shining. (laughs) We're surrounded by boxes which look like they've got um, like, like plates and so on in them but it could be body parts we just don't know we just don't know unlampshaded bulb <laughs> hanging over a beam <laughs> and it really does feel like this is where you come to get murdered yeah, so I, are you I, planning I, to murder me we were, and the door is shut and um, <laughs> I, I mean we said on the way up I was like I, I won't murder you you won't murder me we'll be fine yeah we'll be it fine it looks like there's some sort of pet food down there as well yeah. but right Naomi I'm going to have to start with the most cliched question and I'm really sorry but can, can I just ask you a little bit about how you get these amazing ideas down on paper because I read somewhere that you once scrapped 200,000 words of writing I did that was for the power um, oh my god yeah I know it's, it's like a it's like a ghost story a horror story for writers I should be telling it around a campfire with a torch under my chin going once upon a time I had 2,000 word, 200,000 word first draft and I threw it all out uh, it was yeah I wrote a first draft of the power it wasn't working sometimes you just have to bite the bullet and go I want this to be really good and I think if I just keep on tinkering it will take me much longer than if I just start again and so I started again that is amazing do you think though that the power because can i just say the power is one of my favorite books it was the book of the year last year everyone was reading it it was absolutely everywhere do you think that the book was maybe as good as it was because you had almost like a weird practice run yeah i do i mean i see i i read somewhere when i was a child that william golding had done had like written and then thrown out lord of the flies seven times and I remember thinking about that as a child, going, oh, wow, that's impressive. But on the other hand, that's how it gets good, is being willing to put the work in. So, yeah, I think in some way, because the power is about imagining the world, everything, every aspect of the world to be different, I needed the run where I was just imagining the world and the characters weren't quite right and the story wasn't quite right, but I was just digging myself into the world it's almost Mm -hmm. like I was able to kind of level the ground and clear all the brush and then go okay now I know what the terrain is and I can build on that terrain good I I know the qualities of the soil I know all of that so yeah I think you've got to be a bit brave if it's not working it's not working and um you know you'll always you can always do it again like this is this is really good advice if ever you 
like lose a draft because your autosave didn't work or something, just write it again as quickly as you can. And even if you find the original one, you will find that the second one is better. Because mm, yeah. you're kind of scraping away all of the fluff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because wow. yeah. you always hear people say with novels, like you only the novel is the tip of the iceberg and the novelist has, has done all of the yeah. under the sea bit. And that sounds, oh, it's an incredible book. Um, I also read that you work on your fiction in one part of the day and you obviously are a game designer as well as many other things. I am. Do you split your day out like that still? Um, I haven't been doing for the past few months because we've been working on like early version or like early work on what is eventually I hope going to be the TV series of The Power. So I have been quite full on on that for a while now. Uh, But I am getting the novel hankering back and novels I find are lovely in that part of the morning just after you've woken up before the world has really encroached. If I can I like to try to start working on a novel or on my novel that I'm working on before I've looked at my email, before I've like suddenly had all that kind of of mm. thoughts in my head and then games and indeed tv are like a very collaborative so you have other people's voices in your head anyway so they're really good for for me for like after lunchtime you know sit mm-hmm. in bed start writing the book um if i'm working on a novel i try to write a hundred words in bed before i get out of bed Ooh. and then I've like cracked the seal on it for the day and then yeah. it, there it is and then if I do 800 words by like midday then I just don't think about it for the rest of the day and then the next day it's sort of there again just like um a sort of bowl that's slowly filling up with dripping water and you just tip it out once a day and then you've got the same mat there again next day I love that what a lovely way to start the day oh, with with great. fictional characters yeah well they're, they're often better than real people <laughs> <laughs> I I recently wrote a book called The Multi-Hyphen Method, which is about doing many different things and being a multi-hyphenate because oh. I wanted to just celebrate... I don't being know this a, book. Being, I should read this book immediately. I need to send it to you, but because yeah. I, I saw that you had been described maybe in The Guardian or, or, or some somewhere as a polymath yeah. because you are a broadcaster, you're a novelist, you're a... You work for radio, BBC Radio 4, you're, oh, yeah. you work in games. I am. I'm a professor. And of, you're a professor. I'm a professor of creative writing at Bath Spa University. Um... I present science programs for Radio 4. Basically, every time something has happened across my path that sounded interesting, I'm like a magpie for sort of shiny things and just go, oh, yes, I'll do that. And my theory is that it all helps the books. And they all feed in together. Yeah, yeah. My theory is that if you have expertise in several different worlds, as a novelist, that's really helpful. Um, And certainly my early career, I spent in quite a boring job my first five years of my career I was working in a law firm which is like I know that people get kind of procedural drum but mostly working in a law firm is not like Mm. exciting cases like in The Good Wife (laughs) and I never had that kind of early part of my life where I went off and did crazy jobs you know like shark wrestling in Australia and carving my own shoes in Outer Mongolia um (laughs) I was I was fairly boring until my mid twenties, and so I think I'm now I'm just sort of going. Oh yes, I must kind of fill in and make sure that I've got lots of stuff coming in. Um, I'm, I'm also doing a degree in classics in my spare time. Wow, I I love it. I mean, also if you're a freelancer, it's very comforting to have biodiversity in your income stream. Mm-hmm. So even if one sector just completely goes down, if you're working in you know novels are not necessarily like i mean 
God knows, the power has done extremely well and I'm very thrilled. Um, but novels are not necessarily a medium that is growing year on year as opposed to video games, which really are. And so one might as well have a think about this and say, okay, is there a way that I can use my creativity both in this thing that I have been drawn to since I was a tiny child and also in this thing which I'm really fascinated by and is brand new and is has a huge growing market? I mean, I think yeah. my first degree is in... Uh, politics, philosophy and economics. And it is tremendously useful as a creative person to have some understanding about how economics works. And it's like, it's not your fault that you're in an in an area of, of, of the economic world where maybe publishers' profits are shrinking or something like that. But also, you've got to have a think about it and yeah. how that's going to affect your life. So, God, the um, budget's for gaming. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and the amount of actors and actresses and, and big names who who put their voices to characters yeah and it's incredible and like the game that i make um the game that i and my business partner adrian hon uh he runs a small games company called six to start and we came up with the idea for this game together zombies run which is a fitness game oh my god that's yours yeah, it's mine are you kidding <laughs> i love that game <laughs> That is one of my favourite ways to do some exercise. Well, there you go. I don't know. I have a lot of ideas. And once in a while you get one where you're like, oh, I think that one's a good one. That's that's my major skill is like having a good idea. And then, you know, to find good ways to follow through on the ones like this. This is a very kind of deep subject is how you decide which of your ideas you're going to take and run with and yeah. which ones you're going to go. That's lovely. But I think it should be something small mm. or I think I should give that one to somebody else or and back to the fact that you you, you knew to scrap the first draft of yeah. one of your books yeah how do you know then that is a really interesting question I think there's something about well one one thing that's quite useful is I know that some writers don't like to talk about their ideas but I do like to talk mm. about my ideas in certain circumstances and particularly not necessarily with other writers, but with people who read books or with people who play games, there's a little thing where you can just go, oh, I'm working on a book and it's about this. And when you get to the point that you can sum it up in a sentence or two, then you just see if people go, ooh, mm. or if they go, ah. And Interesting. <laughs> and it's quite useful to, to know that. So with Zombies Run, we put it on Kickstarter. And we were the highest funded game on Kickstarter in 2011. And I was a freelancer and Adrian's company were making other games. And I think we all had that feeling of this one has really caught people's imagination. Yeah. So we give up other things in order to work on this one. And that's the great thing about the internet is you can kind of, you can kind of do a litmus test. Yeah. You can sort of just see first. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah, and you can do that. I mean, you can go and have a look as a writer of a long running game like Zombies Run. You can go and have a look and say oh, which characters are people responding to? I mean, I had a conversation a few years ago with a producer who was the producer of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And she was saying, oh, when they produced it, if they wanted to find out which characters were hitting with the audience, they would have to do a focus group. Mm. And now you can just go on Twitter. Do a poll. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or just like look at a forum for people who like your thing and go, oh, look, this character's hitting. Everyone hates this character. Mm. Kill them yes. with a zombie. And I think Netflix are really good at that, aren't they? Yeah. They look, they do they're into their data. Yeah. Um, right, we have to talk about disobedience. Oh yes. Because we're here at the cinema in this creepy room. <laughs> You're doing a lot of Q and A's today and and speaking to audiences because the film is out 
today tomorrow depending on when you're listening to this podcast and what what is that like because I've spoken to a lot of authors who get a lot of exciting conversations going Mm. but Rachel Weiss rang you up Rachel Weiss rang me up I was expecting the call it wasn't like she called and (laughs) she was like hello it's Rachel Weiss and I was like oh yeah of course it is hi mum or whatever um but uh yeah my agent told me that Rachel Weiss wanted to talk to me we had had a couple of previous offers to try to make it in try to make disobedience into a movie and it just hasn't happened for whatever reason and that's much the common story mm. um like can't get too excited about tv and yeah, film you just can't get too excited about it what you say what i've tried to say to myself all the way through each of these processes is this bit is fun this bit is interesting i'm learning loads i'm meeting interesting people i'm having a chat with a hollywood actress in my living room so like cool um, and and they really just not counting any chickens until it was all until like literally the day the filming started i remember uh so they started filming in january actually january of last year it's been a while uh which and is quite quick for films now that's true which that is, is weird true. that is true um i didn't know that either uh but so, yeah, they started filming in January and over the Christmas holidays, people were saying to me, oh, come on, though, you definitely know it's going to happen now. And I was like, well, you just never know. Somebody breaks their leg skiing over Christmas and, you know, everybody's schedule falls to pieces and that's that. So, yeah, I've, I have I think I've quite guarded about my, like, investing in it. But on the other hand, it was a super fun experience. And, I mean, people get their novels turned into movies but often they get them turned into shit movies. Mm-hmm. And this is an extremely good movie. So that is... And it's is... actually really refreshing hearing someone who has written an incredible book also say, well done. Because actually, you're right, sometimes the authors don't really want to do have anything to do with it. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I guess I am... I mean, I think a polymath is what they call you when you do three different things. If right. you do two different things, people just think you're weird. And then when you... Because they're like, novels and games. And then when you add in a third, they go, oh, you're a polymath. Okay, so all right. So perhaps I've got a sense of... I don't know. I'm just interested in everything. I don't think novels are better than films. I don't think that I know how to make a brilliant film in the way that Sebastian Lelio, the director of this film, knows how to make a brilliant film. So it's just a privilege to be able to watch someone kind of in in conversation with your work yeah and and um and in such a beautiful way because you've obviously got these two hollywood actresses rachel mcadams and rachel vice and but they are stripped back yeah and it's i it was like in a way i'd never seen them before yeah no that you you come out going oh they're very good actresses and the, yes they're both very beautiful and they can do comedy and they can do adventure and this is I mean, I think Sebastian is very interested in allowing the actors to show what's going on within them from looking at their faces and Mm -hmm. and the way that they talk and really taking his time over it. I mean, for me, if I may say, it's, it's, it's quite hard to express how moving this film is for me Mm -hmm. because it's about, it's not my autobiography, it's not my life story, but it's certainly about a time in my life when I was questioning the religion that I grew up with and eventually came to the decision that, although I have a lot of respect for it in a lot of different ways, it wasn't the place for me. And I was in a lot of turmoil about this when I wrote the book and um, I felt very self-critical 
and I felt a sense that I didn't know what was going to happen and I, I, I that it might turn out that I was doing a very bad thing and that I might lose my family or my friends or that I might come to really regret it mm-hmm. and so to revisit it now uh god it's it's something like it sounds it's unbelievable but it's about 17 years since I started thinking about this book I wow. started writing it in the end towards the end of 2002 so that's yeah that's 16 years ago um and that's a lot of life and now yeah. I can look back at that person that I was and go oh no it was all fine it all yeah. it all came out fine it all came out good the the way that the movie is constructed is so compassionate and it is as if to say to that previous version of myself no you're going to be okay it's I, I want to like send it in a little time capsule back and go it's all right yeah there will be rough days and rough months but actually this is a good path and you're following your own path and it's not one that anybody else has been down before so it will be scary and you have to kind of cut away the weeds for yourself but yeah don't worry mm. it's yeah it's it's almost indescribable actually uh it, it felt like a visit with a former version of myself oh, that must have been quite something um, I was really interested by something I read. I think it was on the Penguin website. And you said um, something really interesting about when you wrote the book, people started saying to you that, oh, maybe it will just be for this specific audience. Maybe yeah. it will be for orthodox Jewish communities to read and maybe even judge. This is a mainstream mass <laughs> media book. It's amazing, isn't it? it? It is. But did you did you ever believe those people? Or did you always know that, of course, this will transcend... I had this idea, I had had this idea for a long time actually before I wrote the book that Jewish people in this country tend to feel that we are much more boring than we actually are and that the Jewish community in Britain, and I write about this in Disobedience, is a very quiet community. We don't really agitate a lot on our own behalves and I think that has not served us over the years and particularly not now I mean with all the problems that have come up with some anti-semitism in the Labour Party this sort of thing I think we haven't got the kind of strong confidence in our own voice and being able to talk about what our culture means other than just keep our heads down and try not to be noticed and I had never behaved in that way and I had always had non-Jewish friends who I explained everything to I think a lot of orthodox Jewish people feel a certain kind of fear or shame about talking about what Orthodox Jewish life is and they expect that other people from outside the community won't understand and that they will be judged and judged to be weird. And I had never felt that. I had always felt this is a really beautiful, interesting thing and if I explain it to my friends who aren't Jewish they will understand and they did always understand and they if always, anything you probably want to know more yeah and they always found it really interesting and like you know beautiful ideas in there so there were people in the Jewish community who said the only audience for this will be Jewish people and I just felt like if it did get published I felt that was probably not going to be the case um and I, I yeah I sort of think and hope that it has given some spine stiffening to other people writing on similar subjects mm. uh, and in fact I, I know that it has I, other people have come to talk to me about uh, writers of jewish writers have, have come to say 
yeah, that it was meaningful to see that this book was accepted in the mainstream and here we are and it's a Hollywood movie. And um, yeah, we can just stand quite proudly as every culture group can stand quite proudly in your particular heritage and in your particular practices and, you know, just enjoy it. Enjoy being part of this wonderful multicultural society that we live in where we can all enjoy each other's. Totally. And what a beautiful thing to get a window into someone else's life. Mm. Isn't that what art is? Yeah, and I love it when I have that experience with someone else's culture. You know, I really want to know about all the different cultures that exist in London in the UK now. I'm... I'm a fully committed multiculturalist. Multiculturalist, multi-hyphenate. Yeah. <laughs> All the multis. Um, I wanted to ask you just your thoughts on, on the cast, because I know that it's been quite a few years since you wrote the book, but what is that like with writing a novel where you've pictured the characters and then now they're, they're slightly different? Or Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, in a certain way, all those characters are aspects of myself as I think is often the case for particularly for first novels. Mm. Um, I was working something out for myself when I was writing that book. And so these questions about should you stay in the community? Should you leave? What If you do leave, what kind of person are you? What kind of person would try to make someone stay? Those, that, so it wasn't really as if I had imagined those characters completely from the outside I saw them from inside so I think there are some amazing performances aren't there Rachel McAdams is an absolute revelation she's incredible she's incredible I just fully believe her in that and and also I mean obviously Rachel Weiss is Jewish and grew up in Hampstead and kind of knows that culture somewhat but Alessandro Nivola like 100% believe him yeah just and his Hebrew is perfect let me tell you wow this was something that I was so horrified by the idea that anybody in this would sound like they didn't know what they were doing and sound like it all was kind of foreign to them. And he sounds just perfect. Oh, that's amazing. And you just totally believe his distress and his almost like wrenching of the self inside himself that there's something in him is being torn to pieces. Did you know my brother is in the film and my dad? And you. And me, and me. <laughs> You've got a cameo, haven't you? I have, I have. I'm... That's, that's lovely. <laughs> did they, did they, was that your idea? Was it? Yeah, I mean, for all that I feared that I would end up like Ronit, completely estranged from everything if I became non-orthodox, actually, no, as long as you're kind of kind, people don't really estrange you unless they were always horrible people. So, uh, yeah, my family were very interested by that. My mum has no interest in the spotlight so I said to her do you want to be in it and she's like no (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but my dad said oh yes yes absolutely so my dad I think spent three or four days on set and there's a couple of different scenes where he's in the background as an extra having a good time he really enjoyed himself did they know what you were going through back back then when you were first writing it or (sighs) I don't think they did I think they could tell that I was not happy and um certainly writing a book they knew that there were things that I was writing about that were difficult and my parents are orthodox Jews but they've always been quite intellectually open and willing to question some of the things that happen in the community so as I think a lot of people in these communities are it's not a monolith people are can see that if you are a parent of a gay child in that community often your child is going through tremendous suffering and so you know, they knew that the things that I was writing about were real issues. And I think they felt nervous. And 
I think they also felt that um, when the book achieved some success, I think they were also relieved <laughs> to see that I was fine and mm. the book had not suddenly caused me to get death threats or anything of this sort, that actually it's all all right and the, and the community can sort of roll with it and, and everybody goes, okay, yeah, this is pretty much a fair critique and it's loving as well as critical. Mm. Um, so, yeah, my my family... I think we're just intrigued by it and thought that it might be interesting. And my brother is a singer, so uh, there's a bit where um, a choir arrive to to, to sing at, at a service at the end of the movie. And uh, David, Alessandro's character, is going through intense emotional turmoil and somebody does a, a, a man stands up and does a solo as uh, in the choir as he's talking. And that's my brother doing the oh, solo. Oh, that's yeah. your brother. Yeah. It's so nice that bits of you are in the film. Yeah. Because actually that could have not happened. It could have been totally separate, couldn't it? Yeah, I know. I like <laughs> How amazing. That makes me like the film more. Right. I, I keep remembering that bit in um, Californication where uh, David Duchovny's character has written a book called God is Dead and they turn it into a movie called That Crazy Little Thing Called Love. <laughs> and that's, I think, what people expect. So I kind of didn't know, know really what was going to happen, but all the way through I've been surprised and impressed. I think I've had a very lucky time, actually. It couldn't have been better. Yeah, I love that. Um, well, I have millions of other questions, but time is ticking and you have an, a Q&A tonight I follow, do. following the film. I think they're downstairs watching the film right now aren't I they? I think they are. Um, but my I always end with uh, with this question just what are you excited about coming up and it it can be personal it can be professional it can be anything. Oh my gosh okay I am pretty excited about the fact that it is looking increasingly likely that we are going to do a tv show of the power so that's am I allowed to swear? Absolutely can. That's an absolute head fuck. The idea that not the the idea that a lot of people are going to be involved in bringing these things inside my head out into the world is pretty amazing Um, that is so exciting yeah i remember when i was reading the power because the the opening of the power is very very cinematic yeah i mean everyone is just going to be so excited for this i just it feels like a weird dream the whole okay i mean Barack Obama picked it as one of his books of the year and that's a real like Barack Obama was sitting you know reading this book and then you know maybe looking at the front cover and going yeah this is is a pretty good read and just it's absolutely mind-blowing. Having had a very successful novel with the disobedience because it won a lot of awards Mm. did was it less freeing in in a way writing the power did you know oh people are going to read this? I mean, the thing with the power was I'd been mentored by Margaret Atwood. Oh, during yeah, the she's your beza. She is my beza, actually. I, <laughs> I do actually love her. Like, um, I, you know, I thought I, I would watched um, a YouTube clip of you two talking and she is just staring at you so lovingly. Oh, well, I love her. <laughs> like those things that you can't predict it. You know, I thought oh, I will have a relationship where I admire her. And of course I do admire her, but I also really love her. And... I've been on holidays with her family and she's just she's fantastic and really really smart and really funny and I cannot believe I've been this lucky to be perfectly honest but so when I was writing when I was writing The Power um, because I had been mentored by Margaret Atwood I knew and the subject matter I knew people would put it next to The Handmaid's Tale and go and like I had in my mind this vision of the reviews going well it's not as good as The Handmaid's Tale obviously 
So it definitely, that was weighing on me. And I think probably it gave me the confidence to throw out 200,000 words and go, right, I need to know that I have tried my absolute hardest Mm. at this because, yeah, I don't really want it just to be a footnote next to The Handmaid's Tale, but it is going to be definitely at least that. Somebody out there will get a PhD at some point when when they're looking around for something they can possibly write about Margaret Atwood you know they'll be able to go well let's look for the influences of Margaret Atwood in this writer who obviously wrote a very shit book um so yeah like that is a motivator to no they are they are bought together in the shop as a pair (laughs) of beautiful books well that is that is the best possible outcome that I could have hoped for uh and I did not dare hope that was going to happen at the time but um yeah, so in terms of things I'm excited about, I can't say I'm excited about the politics right now. No. You know, I can't say I'm looking at the environment and going, this is amazing. Um, I'm excited by the possibility we might find ways out of all of that shit. Got to end on an optimistic note. Yeah. I kind of have this hope that we might reach, like, the brink, look over and go, come on, we've got to find another way. And then people will come up with very clever ideas to sort it all out. Mm, yeah. Actually, my... <laughs> I have a friend uh, who works in video games as well, Andrea Phillips, who wrote a short story a couple of years ago called The Revolution Sponsored by Nike, which is just basically about the point at which the politicians have completely failed and the corporations go, actually, it will be really good business for us to get behind revolutionary left-wing politics and try to make the world better. That will just also enable people to feel better about wearing our shoes and so on. And I'm like, it needs something like that, some crazy thing. So I guess I'm hopeful. Yeah. And and actually, maybe it is going that way slightly. I don't think brands can exist anymore if they're not doing their bit. Yes, I even think that's a, even true. Even a small bit. I think, I think it's true that we feel like we're reaching a crisis and maybe that's a good thing. Mm. And thank God we have books and films and, and art and cinema and theatre to go to while we despair. Yes, absolutely. And hopefully people are out there making brilliant art that will point us in new directions. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much. It's this a has joy. Been honestly, an honour. It's thank you so much. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you for having you. me.